you too? Tales of the Mixed Multitude is made possible through the generous support of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and the Auerbach Foundation's Innovation Grants. I'm Emily Cohen. Thank you for listening. The one thing that always stuck out at Orami for me growing up was the acceptance and the just the fact that they wanted it to be fun. They didn't want it to be something that we had to do. It was a fun place to be. I had friends there. I had community there. You know, it was the type of congregation where they want you there on Friday night and if you have kids, they want the kids there, whether they're going to be a part of the service or whether they're just going to sit on the side or whether they're going to sit in the back and play games and things in the back of the room. They want people there and they accept you where you are. My name is Rachel Loria. I am from Richmond, Virginia. I am an advocate for disability rights and I have been involved in Reform Judaism for my entire life. I am still active at the congregation that I grew up at, and I teach at the congregation I grew up at. Still work with people that I've worked with that have taught me, so it's, it's kind of a cool experience. This is not the episode that I set out to make in the month of May. I began this month with a particular topic, had all three interviews completed, and then the day after completing the final interview, heard about the death of Rabbi Aaron Pankin, the president of Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. I never had the pleasure of meeting Rabbi Pankin, but the tributes that poured in following his death painted a portrait of a loving, thoughtful, wise rabbi whose leadership strengthened the reform movement. This is a terrible loss and a terribly difficult time for reform Jews all over the country. And I wanted to use this month's episode to shine a light on the work that reform communities have been engaged in for decades in bringing interfaith families to the center of Jewish life. Although there are a number of Jewish movements in the United States, The big three, the ones that even folks who aren't Jewish are likely to know about, are Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox. Of course, there are many more variations than that, even amongst those three movements. But the Reform movement, by far, has been the most welcoming to interfaith families. So today, we'll hear from three Reform Jews, people who are connected to modern kinds of Jewish families, where some people come from entirely Jewish backgrounds, Some come from a mix of Jewish and not Jewish backgrounds, and some are simply not Jews, but in which, and here's the important part, everyone was welcome in reform spaces. My mom converted to Judaism before she married my dad, so I was always raised Jewish. Her family is Christian, so I was raised celebrating Jewish holidays and primarily within the Jewish culture, but I also would celebrate, not religiously, but we would celebrate some of the Christian holidays with her family as well. So I kind of got a taste of both worlds growing up. 
my dad was raised Jewish. My dad is a Holocaust survivor. So that's another huge part of the faith community for me. It's not just the Reform Judaism component, but also the survivors has been a huge part of my faith. My Jewish journey, my parents always said that they knew that I was a Jew from the minute I was born, just because they, they saw it in me. I started kindergarten at Oramie, and that's really what I, my first memories would be starting kindergarten at Oramie and being involved at Oramie, which is the congregation that I go to. I was bat mitzvah there when I was 13, and that was a really exciting experience because I had seen my sister do it, and I had been involved in that, but I hadn't really gotten to experience it myself, and I also really got to experience my mom's family kind of getting involved in that and being there for that. So it was kind of a blending of the faith for me, which was really an interesting um, experience and an interesting way to have it. I was involved in Hillel. I was involved in the in the youth groups. And I came home after college, and because of things that were going on, wasn't sure if I wanted to go back to Oramie. I was asked to come back to teach for the remainder of two weeks of the religious school year and I did and four years later I'm still teaching so it was the longest two weeks of my life but it's not one that I regret my name is Ezra Bokdal I am the son of a preacher man a reformed Jewish rabbi who stayed at the same synagogue and congregation for his entire career. Therefore, I grew up with an incredibly stable and consistent sanctuary and support system in an intellectually, spiritually, and religiously rich environment that helped shape the, the person that I am today. I went to reform camps throughout my childhood and adolescence. So not only did I experience religious school and Shabbat services and so forth at the synagogue, but I continued it really throughout the year. It was unusual as a rabbi's kid not to attend a, a private Jewish day school. I went to a very diverse public school, which many people found interesting, but it was really important for my parents that I had a diverse experience. So while my Jewish identity is very strong and unwavering, I experienced a lot of different things throughout my, my childhood. The congregants at Temple Emmanuel really were a part of my upbringing. Uh, they were part of the extended family. They were there and continue to be there, those who are still around, through all of the life cycle events. And so it's been an important part of my growing up. When my grandparents passed away, I got married when my kids were born, when they had their B'nai mitzvahs, when my dad retired, when I got divorced, when my kids, with their recent graduations, they've been there and, and been supportive. And now I get to see how strong my kids, and not only Jewish identity is, but their Reformed Jewish identity and, and all that it stands for. And so while I was very active in the Reformed Jewish movement and I participate in a lot of things and organizations. It's been wonderful to see my kids live tikkun olam through their involvement in many different Jewish organizations and, and causes. 
Ezra has a son who just graduated from college and a daughter who just graduated from high school. This is also a good moment for me to mention that I have personal connections with all three of our guests today. I was Ezra's son's Hillel advisor for his college campus. I've known Rachel Loria since we were three years old and started preschool at the JCC together. And my mother teaches at the Jewish day school where Cheva, our third guest, attended middle school. I'm telling you this in part to share that with the exception of Rachel's history, which I know well, having been friends with her for about 27 years, I didn't know the connections to interfaith family members that both of my other guests had. And why is that relevant? Because to me, it reflects a value of the reform movement, which is not only to accept interfaith families, but to accept them so much that there may be times when it's not even clear who comes from an interfaith family and whose family is made up entirely of Jewish people. In fact, when I asked a reform student of mine if she could possibly refer me to some guests for this episode, she said that in her network, she didn't know who came from an interfaith family and who didn't. I'm not at all claiming that this is the best approach in welcoming interfaith families to different Jewish communities. I can certainly imagine circumstances where not knowing that somebody comes from an interfaith family could cause more harm than good. But it is an example of the reform movement's deep commitment to welcoming all Jewish families. My family's pretty much entirely Jewish, but after the divorce, the woman that I started dating and have continued dating is not Jewish. Marrying someone who was Jewish was extremely important to me, and I never expected Obviously, I never expected to get divorced. I never expected to date someone who wasn't Jewish. It just happened that way. Probably when I was younger, I wouldn't wouldn't have even been open to it. And I know that she feels very welcome and comfortable in the synagogue. Sadly, I can tell you that she's not always felt that welcome and comfortable in other non-reformed Jewish places. And not only welcome, but not treated terribly well or or respectfully. Um, she's got blonde hair, blue eyes, seeing some of the judgments honestly have been somewhat hurtful because being Jewish is so important to me and the continuation of Judaism and the culture and the synagogue life and everything that comes with it and to see that it's not always supported has been difficult. But again, overall, I really couldn't be happier with with the way that piece has, has worked out. To have Shelley be so, not only for the synagogue to be open to her, but for her to be open to everything that comes with dating a Jew and a Reformed Jew and someone who is so connected, I think it says a lot about her, and I think it says a lot about the state of Reformed Judaism to not look down upon that. Saying that you know, it's possible to be Jewish in a non-Jewish world is a natural progression towards acceptance of 
the people around you who are not Jewish. And accepting them inevitably leads to relationships. And some of those relationships will be loving, family-founding relationships. And so I think that it's it makes a lot of sense. It's consistent with reform ideology that there was a foundation towards recognizing and and integrating with non-Jewish communities that we live side by side with. And so I think that I'm I'm glad that the reform movement is consistent. My name is Chava Lerman. I grew up at Congregation Beth Am in Los Altos Hills, California, which was a wonderful and a very large reform congregation. Beth Am was always wonderful about empowering me and my enthusiasm around Judaism and, and everyone in my family. Well, one, for my bat mitzvah, they said, learn as much as you want. I got to lead a lot of the service. I had my bat mitzvah in the outdoor chapel on Labor Day, it was beautiful. And then after that, they continued to keep me involved. So I got to chant Torah regularly as a teenager. You know, I was co-leading my confirmation service. Uh, when I went on my confirmation trip with Nifty, I got to co-lead Shabbat services at the HUC campus in Jerusalem as the sun was setting and hitting the walls of the old city, the wall of windows looking out on that view. It was just such an incredibly Jewish informative memory for me. Rabbi Janet Martyr is, uh, I cannot gush with enough love and enthusiasm about her. She's one of my favorite rabbis, one of the people I look up to the most. And, and there's so many reasons for that. She, as the senior rabbi of a congregation of what, 15, 1600 families, set aside the time to do a course in comparative study with the teenagers in the synagogue, where we met on, I think it was a Sunday afternoon or whatever it was, and like went through this comparative religious study with her from a really compassionate, curious lens. And it was such a great statement of like, we're Jewish and you matter and we're going to study together. And we're gonna study about other religions because we live in this multi-religious context. And it's important to know this so that we can all connect to each other in a more educated way. Living in a multi-religious context is something that Ezra learned from both of his parents and something that he's carried forward into his work. I work for Catholic Charities and it will be 30 years in October that I've worked for Catholic Charities. And people have often found it to be funny that the kid of a rabbi is working at Catholic Charities, but it hasn't really bothered me. One is that we serve anybody and everybody. Two, whether you're doing tikkun olam for associated Jewish charities or you're doing tikkun olam for Catholic Charities or you're doing it for another organization, you know, you're still doing your part to, to try to make the world a, a better and safer place. My dad marched with Martin Luther King. He fought for civil rights when it wasn't the popular thing to do. You know, he received a lot of flack and pushback for fighting for equality, whether it's racial equality, gender equality. You know, I saw how he reached out to people and how people reached out to him through life's ups and downs and how he managed those things and how people cope through those life experiences. So having lived through that with my dad and, and lived through it with my mom as a psychiatric social worker, it always felt like 
the right path. I think for my kids to see that type of diversity and that type of inclusion in Reform Judaism, I think has taught them some important life lessons about what you know what you do for other people. That you need to be grateful for what you have, but you can't just sit back and not fight for others who don't have some of the same rights or privileges that that you do. For Rachel, the diverse and accepting community of Orami contributed to her desire to take on a career focused on helping others find that same sort of acceptance as an advocate for disability rights with the Disability Law Center of Virginia. I mean, my whole life has been the reason why I've chosen that path, but I think the acceptance that I have found at Orami and the community at Orami and the diversity of people at Orami has been a huge reason why I've picked the path that I've chosen to work. I have seen, you know, the effect of acceptance on the community and I want to give that acceptance to other people and kind of practice what I've been taught. One of Rachel's first opportunities to practice what she was being taught at Orami came during her bat mitzvah when trying to figure out how to properly include her mother's Christian family members. When the family goes through the bar and bat mitzvah, we write our own services for that, which is really a, a different experience that a lot of families don't have at other congregations. But I love at Orami is the experience of writing the service as a family and working together as a family to create that experience. My mom's family is Christian, and I wanted to include them in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, we had them come up and read and do that, but I wanted, I wanted them to feel comfortable in the congregation. My mother's mom was familiar with a lot of the church songs, so I said to my mom one way that I wanted to start was to start the service by singing Lo Yisegoi. And she said, do you want to start with the Hebrew or the English? And I said, I want to start with the English because I know that's what Nana's going to be comfortable with. So we started the service with Lo Yisegoi and we started with the English. And she just got this look of happiness and calmness on her face. And then we started the Hebrew. And I remember she just looked at me and shook her head. And she just, she wasn't ready for it. But it was the the idea of, you know, having both cultures together was really, was really something that I loved and a huge source of joy for me. Every reform community is different, just as every Jewish community is different. But it's not uncommon in reform settings for family members who aren't Jewish to be able to take on major roles in the life cycle events of their Jewish loved ones. After all, plenty of parents and grandparents and other relatives who are not Jewish play major roles in helping their Jewish loved ones reach their life cycle occasions. At Beth Am, where Cheva grew up, community members who were not Jewish partook in all sorts of pieces of synagogue life, but there's a particular moment that stands out in Cheva's memory. Interfaith families were so fully welcomed at Beth Am that most people didn't know whose partners were Jewish or non-Jewish, if that wasn't something that people wanted to share. But there was a point when Rabbi Martyr 
I made a blessing for the non-Jewish partners at a High Holy Day service. And High Holy Days at Beth Elm are huge. We were in the biggest concert hall in the South Bay at De Anza College. We usually have upwards of 3,000 people. And she invited non-Jewish spouses to come up to the bima and receive a blessing. And my mom said it was a terrifying thing to step forward because in a way she did feel a little bit closeted, even though nobody had ever asked, nobody had ever made her feel like an outsider, but she never really brought it up and it did feel like a, a big thing. And as soon as she got to the bima with all the other non-Jewish spouses, everybody was looking around like, wait, you're not Jewish? You're not Jewish? Like, I have no idea. And there was a, a, a sudden sense of togetherness. And the blessing that she gave has been done in a myriad of synagogues since. I mean, I encountered it in my chavara when I was living in D.C. And by that point, it wasn't even really explicitly traced or, or made credited back to her because it was just so widely done, which was amazing. And it says, you know, we are so grateful that you have joined our community as family members and as members of our community and that you are doing the hard work of raising your kids Jewish, even though this was not the tradition that you grew up in. And that sometimes it might feel a little awkward or strange, but that is such a huge step and we just want to say thank you and give you blessing for it. Cheba is now on a growing list of Jutu guests who are either rabbinical students or rabbis raised by a parent who is Jewish and a parent who was not Jewish. But as always, Every family's scenario is a little bit different. Here's more of Cheva's story. My father grew up Jewish in New York. My mother grew up Unitarian Universalist in the suburbs of Boston. I was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the only congregation in Kalamazoo was a conservative one that did not accept me and later my younger brothers as Jewish because my mom wasn't Jewish. So we were taken to the mikvah, I think in Lansing, when I was two and my first of two younger brothers had just been born. I have fond memories of that congregation, but I also grew up kind of knowing that there was something a little bit funny about, about my situation in the context of the Jewish community. Within my family, it was never an issue. My mom had told my father as soon as they got engaged, like, we will raise the kids Jewish. That was her statement to him. It was not even a request or a negotiation. And so our home was Jewish, but we celebrated Christmas. We, you know, I knew that my extended family on her side was not Jewish. I loved my family. I still love my family. But it was a little bit funny growing up knowing as I was at synagogue that like, oh yeah, some people don't think I'm really Jewish. Like, that's weird. So we were involved in that synagogue in Kalamazoo. Then we moved to Boulder. Then we moved to California and got very involved at Congregation Betham. Uh, Betham was just an incredibly warm and welcoming. I know that's always the catchphrase, but really lived up to it. They did a great job with bringing us into the community in ways that worked for my family. So we were in the Shabbaton program, we went to Friday night services, I started at Hebrew school, and it was actually through our increased involvement at Betham that our Jewish practice went beyond Shabbat dinner and occasional holidays at synagogue and started becoming more of a thing. Like my father started saying things like, are you sure you want to eat that cheeseburger? And Kashroom became like a, a part of our lives gradually. I went to day school for middle school and I chose to go to the day school. My parents didn't put me there. They said, look, it was the day school and we the public middle school. Both are really great options. Which one do you want? And I went and visited the school. I had a good experience. I decided to go. 
There was a wonderful faculty. It was a really warm community. It's now called Gideon Hausner Jewish Day School in Palo Alto. At the time, it was called Mid Peninsula, Mid Pen. And it's still a place that I have a lot of love for and stay connected to. And I think that part of that was getting to know people from different movements. It was educational for me to kind of get to know that there is a greater Jewish spectrum out there and there are other ways of doing things and, and having that also integrated into my education. You know, eventually, my mom ended up converting, but not until I was 18, and my brothers and I had all become B'nai Mitzvah. And at that point, for her, it was a statement not of you know, affiliation with the family, but that, that the Jewish people were her family, and that she now felt comfortable. And she said that absolutely, without a doubt, the warmth of the community at Beth Am and, and feeling so deeply connected and, and integrated and without any caveats was part of what made her feel that, yeah, Judaism is her home, the Jewish people are her family, this is where she belongs. By the time she converted, she was so involved that people were surprised that she hadn't been Jewish already. She was the vice president of the day school, she was talking to the synagogue about becoming a board member, it was, it, it was a very seamless thing because Beth Am had just been so meaningful as a community for our family. My mom, got continuously more involved in the synagogue, ended up serving as synagogue president. She pointed out to me, which I actually didn't realize, that the current president is married to a non-Jew, and my mom's the past president. She's a convert, as were the president before her and the one that's going to be coming in next. So currently, we have a streak of four presidents of the synagogue that are either converts or married to non-Jews. And I think that that's just such a fantastic sign that the Jewish community is strengthened with wonderful leadership and perspectives when we are inclusive, when we bring people in and accept them and love them for who they are and don't pressure them to be anybody who they're not, that it's only good that can come of it. Accepting people for who they are is a lesson that Rachel learned at Orami when she was young, and it's a culture that she's delighted to continue to craft with her involvement with the synagogue today. It was ingrained in us that, you know, you accept people for where they're at and for what they can offer. Rabbi Ahuva Sachs is our rabbi right now. She's wonderful. She's really brought a lot of diversity to Orami and gotten us involved in a lot of the interfaith activities and the, kind of the mixing of the faith communities in Richmond, which is a really neat experience. Orami itself continues to draw from a diverse mix of Jewish families in the Richmond area, as demonstrated by the makeup of Rachel's Torah Tots class. Some of the kids are from interfaith families. Some of the kids are from families where both parents are Jewish. Some of the kids are from single-parent families. It's a mix. The diversity is something that I've always really appreciated in the reform movement. I do think I'm going to keep teaching. I do have my degree in teaching, so getting to teach on Sunday mornings is kind of putting that to use, which is nice. And I, I love doing that. I love being able to work with the younger ones on, on Sunday mornings. and It's a good start to my week. For Ezra, Reform Judaism's welcoming philosophy ties to principles that inform Judaism in general. The principle and commandments of welcoming the stranger has a lot of meaning 
today, obviously, with those who are viewed as being different. And that's an important value of Reformed Judaism and is also consistent with my ethics and values. It's consistent with my beliefs and and my profession. So I think that connection with Tikkun Olam, which is very strong in the Reform movement, is part of the reason why I think it is welcoming uh, and why it allows for the changing landscape depending on, on what it is. And we've certainly seen a lot. I've certainly seen a lot in my lifetime. Ezra is about 50, which means that he's lived through much of the Jewish world's increased openness to interfaith marriages. And when I asked him point blank how he felt about the possibility of his two children marrying somebody who was not Jewish, he had this to say. Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, Probably my answer would have been different. 20 years ago so you know for me them continuing to have a strong jewish identity regardless of who they're with and then being happy and healthy is the most important thing and so if they end up being in a relationship with someone who's not jewish what would be important is that whoever their partner is is as open and honest and as supportive of what they want to do in terms of their Jewishness as I've had with my non-Jewish partner. Uh, Knowing how strong a Jewish identity they have, I'm not really too worried about them in that respect because their values and ethics and morals are pretty entrenched. I think they're going to continue to live a life of tikkun olam, and for me, that's the most that I could want. If studies like the Pew Survey of American Jews in 2013 show us anything, it's that synagogue membership isn't a requirement for Jews any longer. It's something that Jews can opt into or opt out of. The reform movement for decades has been seeking to become more and more welcoming not only to Jews, but to their family members and other dear ones who are not Jewish. There's still a lot of work to be done in all Jewish movements, but the reform movement, by creating and upholding these truly warm and welcoming communities, is sending a message to today's Jewish families that yes, Judaism wants them for who they are. And for that, we say thank you. Thank you so much to Ezra Buchdahl, Cheva Lerman, and Rachel Loria for being part of this episode. As always, your feedback is very welcome. You can offer feedback through the form on the website, jew2podcast.com, over email, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at jew2podcast. You can also offer on our website a financial contribution by going to jew2podcast.com slash donate. Exciting news! I'm graduating from rabbinical school on June 10th and moving to New York City sometime between June and August. I'm really excited to start my new job, and I have no idea how that's going to impact podcast production for the next several months. So please be patient with me and know that I will get back to this at some point. 
It may indeed happen as scheduled every month over the summer, but it also may not. I'll keep you posted. If you're a New Yorker and want to be on the podcast, we may even be able to do in-person interviews there. Shoot me an email, Facebook message, or some other form of contact if you'd like to be considered for a future episode. Thank you so much for listening. I would say I'll see you next month, but I'm not sure yet. But I'll see you sometime. Till then, this is Jew 2, Tales of the Mixed Multitude.